in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I preached a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter, and, or maybe no, in 2 Peter, and I was convinced that I had, at some point in my life, had preached all the way through 2 Peter. And I got to looking at my record books, and I realized I've preached through 1 Peter, but I've not preached through 2 Peter. So I may actually start doing that either on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights, but um, uh, I've just been blessed by reading and studying Isaiah lately, so I want to jump in Isaiah chapter 1 tonight. Uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do is start around verse 16. And uh, forgive me if, if my voice gets a little weird, I'm turning words funny. I went to the dentist today and had two fillings put in, and, and my face is not quite all the way back yet. So if I look funny or sound funny, uh, I am not drunk, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever Peter said on the, on the day of Pentecost, okay? Um, I am just uh, don't have my face back yet. So look with me in this text, and, and, and I think what we're going to see here, if you were to start in, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah, um, and you were to read all the way through verse 15, what you would find is a just a very, very strong rebuke of, of the Lord, giving a rebuke to the people of Judah through the prophet Isaiah. I mean, he is just going after them. He's telling them this and telling them that and making sure they understand that they have uh, sinned against him. And he is particularly going after and rebuking their false and vain religious practices. And so what's going to happen as we, as we take up in verse 16 is there's a little bit of an interlude here where God, after pronouncing all of this, uh, all of this trouble that's gone on, all of these, these awful things and telling them exactly who they are and what they're doing, which what we're going to see is that he's going to, in this interlude, he's going to come in and he's going to say, look, here's what you should do instead. There's a moment here as he's pronouncing woe, pronouncing judgment, pronouncing their wickedness, that he stops for a moment in that. And this interlude comes in for just a couple of verses. And he tells the people what it is they should be doing instead. He's going to tell them that they should repent. He's going to tell them that they should uh, practically, what does it look like when you are obeying the Lord when you're doing things the right way. He's going to challenge them to turn away from their wickedness and to walk after Him instead. And so I just want to read to you tonight from, from chapter 1, verse 16, and go through verse 20. Because for a couple of verses, He's going to do that, but then He's going to get right back to telling them, if you don't, Make this change. If you don't turn away from this wickedness, judgment is headed your way. So let's look at this text. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so, we come into this text in in verse 16, and again, we've got to understand that we're against the backdrop of just line after line after line of, of Judah being told just how wicked they are. And in particular, in the verses leading up to verse 16, he has been talking about these their religious practices where they were practicing vain religion. Right? He, God tells them that, that your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. That's verse 14. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, talking about their worship and prayer, when you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So God is telling them against the backdrop of this this just vain religion, that they're just going through the motions. Uh, that many times they were falling off into paganism, but even when they were trying to go through the motions of the real true religion of following the one true God, they were doing it in a vain way because their lives were not reflecting what they said. They said they believed certain things. They said they believed what God had said. They said they were God's people, but their practice betrayed a different reality. And so... That's the backdrop. That's the blackness uh, of of the backdrop of what's going to be said beginning in verse 16. And he simply begins here, the prophet Isaiah speaking for the Lord, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. What's he tell them? First, before he's going to tell them anything else, first he tells them, stop it. Quit. You guys, and and I'm this is this is an old thing, but I, I'm I'm I think the population I got in here right now, y'all, I think I'm okay. Y'all remember that skit that Bob Newhart did when he was like a therapist, and people would come in and they would just bare their soul to him, and he would sit there and listen to him for a minute, and then he'd just go, "Okay, stop it, quit, stop, don't do that. Why would you do that? You know?" And he would just that was his that was his answer for everything. Stop it. That's kind of what God's saying here. You're doing all of these things, and he's saying, no, you've got to stop. Before before you can even begin to go the other way, you've got to stop what you're doing. You need to repent, really, is what this is. This, This picture of washing yourselves, making yourselves clean. This isn't just talking about an outward purification ritual. He's not telling them to go wash a certain amount of times, you know, and anything like that. He's telling them it is time to clean up their act, to repent of their sin. They need to be cleansed, not not just outwardly. They need to be cleansed inwardly. He's telling the people of Judah, if, 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 this is, if this is all that you are, if this is the reality of where you are, the answer begins with you stopping and turning in repentance. Put it away. I like that language. Put away these evil things. The evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. God's telling them you have to stop. You see... We're never going to grow in obedience if we don't first repent of the sin 
that we have chosen over obedience in the past. If, if, if we don't repent and we just say, well, I'm just going to try to start doing this now, and we think we don't have to deal with this sin, I've chosen this and I've chosen this and I've chosen this sin, and well, now I'm just not going to choose that sin anymore. I'm going to choose something else. No. We'll, we'll, we'll fall right back to it. We, we need to, we must repent. Because in order to go towards God, that word repentance really means turning away. We've got to turn away from that sin and turn towards the path that God has for us in whatever area of life we may be looking at. You're never going to grow. I'm never going to grow if I'm not willing to repent specifically to God and and to others if necessary, but specifically to God. If I don't repent to God of the, my sin and say, God, I've, I have chosen this over you and what you have commanded time and time again, but now I'm going to go your way. God, please forgive me. You are right and I am wrong and I need to go this way instead of that way. We must repent. We must put it away. We have to stop. If evil is revealed to you or to me, sin is revealed to you or to me in my heart, it's not just about my words, right? It's not just about speaking the words of repentance. It's about stopping the action of sin. We've got to stop. It's not a, you know, it's not one of these things. I, you know, one of the examples that I've heard used through the years is that, you know, it, you know, sin. If you if you if you're confronted with your sin, it's not something that that you know we we need to just kind of like stagger ourselves down from okay it's not like nicotine patch all right that's not that's not it's not that kind of thing we don't we don't grade ourselves down from sin all right what we're supposed to do is when god brings it to our attention we're convicted and we we're going to repent we're supposed to stop that behavior now i know we we can fall back into it i know but the the immediate action is not to make a plan to just sin less all right. If somebody came to see me, and I've probably used this example in here, but, but if somebody came to see me and said, well, I'm committing adultery, you know, I'm married, but I'm committing adultery, and I'm doing it you know, eight times a month, how terrible would I be as a pastor to say, well, that's good, that, that's not good, but, but you know what, you really need to, you really need to stop that. You, and, and, the, and the person said, well, I'll tell you what, instead of eight times a month, how about two times a month? And I say, well, two times is better than eight times. Okay, that's great. Go right ahead. That'd be foolishness, wouldn't it? Y'all think I was crazy. But we do that with sin, don't we? Oh, I'm just going to do that less. I'm, just, I'm not going to do it quite as much. I'm getting better. No. And again, I understand sometimes there's things we slip and fall back into, but guess what? We need to repent and commit to going another way again if we, if we fall into it again. It's about stopping and turning the other way and going with God every time. Practicing repentance. God says, put it away. Stop it. Quit. Cease to do evil. I like that phrase. Cease to do evil. Stop the action of sin. And then, and then, you can learn to do good in verse 17. Learn to do good. We have to begin with the, with the repentance and the, and the ceasing of that behavior, and then we can truly learn to do what God would have us to do. And then he gives us these big examples that really encompass a whole lot of the Christian life. But he says we need to learn to do good. 
One commentator said this, an unrepentant person has no interest in learning to do good. If we don't repent, we're not, our heart is not going to be uh, in the place where we're going to want to say, okay, what does it mean for me to be more obedient to God? If we're walking in, de- in unrepentance, that's, that's not going to be the attitude of our heart. So, but if we have repented and we're going to learn to do good, I, I want to do better. I know this is, this is the area of my life. I want to be obedient to God. I want to lean on God more. What does it look like practically? How do we learn that? We learn it through the Word of God. We study the Scriptures. We read it. We come to understand it. We study it. And then we obey it. It's, it, it's like, well, is it that simple? Well, I know sometimes that's difficult. But in principle, it's simple. Read it. If you don't understand it, seek to understand it. And then obey it. It's, that's, that's what it means to learn to do good. God gave us a book. We should read it. We should try to understand it. We should seek to obey it. This is how we learn to do good. So what does it look like? Well, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, he starts with seek justice. Seek justice. Now we got to be careful with justice, right? That word has been so corrupted in the modern vernacular. Man, there's people out there got degrees in justice and they don't even know what the word means. Degrees in social justice. Matter of fact, I saw a thing, a listing the other day. There was a PhD program in cross cultural social justice ministry. Whatever that is. I'm like, okay, cross cultural social justice. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a, some liberal college somewhere, but it's, it's supposed to be ministry. So now it's some liberal seminary somewhere that's teaching people something other than proclaim the gospel to everybody. Teach them all things that Christ has commanded. Justice, in the biblical sense, in the true sense, is a word that simply means that we practice right relationships. We practice right between people. We do what's right as it relates to the people that we deal with in our life. That's really what justice means in its most bare bones form. Is that I'm going to do right by you, you're going to do right by me. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to try to do the right thing. It's just that simple. We don't seek to harm one another. We don't seek to steal from one another. We don't seek to murder one another. We don't, we don't seek to do those things. We, we seek justice in our everyday lives. We do that as individuals. We can do that for us, right? I can try to live in a just manner, in an upright way. You can seek to do that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and the choices that you make, and through me the same way, we can try to live a just life. Dealing with one another in a righteous manner. But, what we understand is that in this world, injustice exists. And again, I'm not talking about the modern version of the word, but true injustice exists in the world. There are people who are being taken advantage of. There are people who are being harmed. There are people who are being just absolutely, their lives are being destroyed. There are innocents who are being harmed in ways that are so beyond the pale of wickedness that we can't, don't even want to think about it for a minute. I was talking to Jake earlier about stupid crime TV shows, and I like to watch some of them, and he likes to watch them too. And we were talking about different ones, and I told him about one I like to watch sometimes, and he said, man, that one's a little bit too real for me. It's got some kind of dark stuff in it. And I said, 
Yeah, it kind of does. And that's the truth. I mean, it, it's like TV and you're like, oh, this is kind of blown up. But it's not. There's real life situations that are far more wicked. Terrible, ugly things when people do to, to all manner of people, young, old, and in the middle. So we understand we're, we're to, to live in a just way, but what do we do when there are others and, and injustice is being just forced upon them? We have a responsibility as the people of God to rebuke the oppressor, to defend the fatherless, to plead for the widow. We practice justice ourselves, but we are called to defend those who are being dealt with wrongly. I can enact in my life a just life, but I can't do that for everyone else. But I'm here to tell you, and this is something that's not, it it wasn't taught to me, and I've tried my best to teach it to other people, but we have a duty to stand up and rebuke people who are truly oppressing. Again, another word that's being overused in our culture, oh, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed because somebody doesn't like, you know, doesn't call me a cat or whatever. You know, no, I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about real oppression. I'm talking about real injustice. This is a call to arms for the right. To do what is right, to defend the right. It's easy, and this is why this is placed here, I think. It's easy for us to practice a vain sort of worship where we all come together in here, and I love gathering with y'all, but we all come together in here and we sing and we hear the word preached and we just you know, tell everybody how much we love them and visit with them and all that, and that's all great. But if that's where it stops and we don't ever take it into the world and we don't dare stand up and fight for what's right according to the things that we say that we believe and that we're learning and growing in, then it's done us no good. It's done the world no good and it is an impotent gospel. We have a duty. It's easy to practice vain worship and then wink at the evil of the world. I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. But we're to fight God's battles with courage. Now we've got to be careful because we should never just fight to fight. And I've got to be careful with that because sometimes I just like to fight. And that's just true about me. In certain arenas, about certain issues, about certain things, I, I like to fight. And I happen to be overly informed on certain things, so I'm pretty good at it on occasion. We shouldn't just go picking fights. That's not what I'm talking about. But we should be willing to fight when there is a wrong that needs to be righted. And I don't think we hear that enough in the church. I don't think I've practiced it enough. I don't think I've preached it enough. That we need to be willing to fight when there is a wrong that needs to be righted. And we need to do it unapologetically. Listen, I can turn the other cheek when I am wronged. That's, that, is within my, that is within my scope as, as God leads me and guides me. I, I can obey that command in whatever way it looks like in my life. But when an, when an innocent is being harmed or oppressed, held down, I don't, I don't actually have that choice because it's not just here. It's all over the Scriptures that we're to defend the fatherless, we're to help the widow, we're to do all of these things, we're to rescue those who are being taken away to the slaughter, Proverbs tells us. 
We are commanded to stand for the right. And I don't do it enough. It's my duty before God to oppose wickedness and oppression, particularly against the innocent. It's why, it's why we talk about the abortion issue all the time. Why? I talk about the abortion issue all the time because it is the greatest evil of the day. Abolitionists in the past, which is what I call myself, an abortion abolitionist, and, and the people that I, that, I, that I know, that's what they call themselves. But in the past, there were abolitionists of slavery. Right? Why did, they, why did they speak out against slavery all the time? And every time, why did William Wilberforce bring a bill into the parliament in Britain over and over and over again for decades and decades and decades? And he said, we've got to, we've got to stop the slave trade completely. In all of our holdings and in every area of the world that we control, we've got to stop it. And they said, well, how about we just make conditions on the boats better? I was like, no, we've got to stop it. And so they'd make conditions on the boats better. And then he'd bring the bill back. So we've got to stop the slave trade. And they said, well, we won't, we won't put as many slaves on the, on the boats when, we, when we're moving them. So it'll be a little more humane. He said, no, we've got to stop it. This is wrong. It was the greatest evil of their day. And Wilberforce, it said, whenever they finally passed the bill to, to end the slave trade in the British Empire, his next statement to his friend once the bill passes says, what shall we abolish next? And that should be the attitude of the people of God is that we are seeking to right wrong. We do it primarily through the proclamation of the gospel, but there are other practical things that we should undertake whether it be in government, whether it be wherever it may be. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just the kid down the street that's just getting beat on all the time. And you know it, and I know it. You say, well, I don't want to interfere. I don't want to get involved. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a mess. It's be really messy. But like, what are you going to do when that kid, something goes, goes, goes too far? It's already gone too far, but when it goes to the extreme... What are, we, what, are we, what are we going to do when we, when we have a suspicion about something happening and should we just not? What, what about when we know that evil's happening? I was talking about abortion. What, what about when we know that in the last 50 years, there's been millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people murdered in the womb? What do we do about it? We just vote for the right people? No. We need to do whatever it is we can do. Yeah, we vote. But we need to, we gotta, we gotta do something else. We proclaim the gospel, right? That's that's what that's what we do when when people that I know and I don't I don't go because there's not really a, an active surgical clinic in Arkansas, but people are just killing their babies at home with pills now. But if you go to those clinics, what do you do? Do you just stand out there and, and, and beg for the life of the baby? Yeah, you can do that. But I, I would also proclaim the gospel. Why? When we do that, we can save the mother and the baby. This is how we fight injustice. We know what's right. We proclaim the gospel in understanding that God is the only one that can right the wrong. But when the time comes, if we have to stand between what is the innocent and someone who is seeking to harm, then we do that too. That's the command of Scripture. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life in a concentration camp because he dared, he dared to speak against Hitler. He actually had a professorship in New York. He came to New York. He was here, and he could have stayed in New York and, and never gone back to Germany, and he couldn't stand it. He said, no, I've got to go back and be with my countrymen. He was training pastors. He was telling the, the church that he capitulated to Hitler and his nonsense, you can't do that and call yourself a Christian. And they said, well, you're just being divisive. He said, no. And he died in a concentration camp. Why did he do that? 
Was he just foolish? Was he just wanted to be a martyr? No. He knew that there were actions that naturally flow forward from the, the truths that we say we believe. I tell you all this because mostly I'm preaching to myself. I've not done the things that I know I should do that flow naturally from the beliefs that I say that I have. I've not always stood. Isn't it terrible that stuff is, that the wickedness is so rampant that you just hear about it sometimes and you're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't, it's just another thing. Somebody tells you about the next just foolishness that's going on that's so awful, it's so wicked, it's so evil, and you say, well, I'm kind of wore out by it. I just I almost don't even care anymore. You turn on the news, and like something's coming up, and like, oh, listen to this just outlandish thing. Listen to this next thing that none of us ever thought we'd ever hear about in our entire lifetime, and it's going on, and it's just another Tuesday, isn't it? And we're worn out by it. And so we just kind of keep going. It's easy to do. And yeah, you got to pick your battles. You need to fight where God tells you to fight. You can't fight everywhere because you'll burn up, blow, blow away. But I want to challenge you as I, as I challenge myself. However small, however large, wherever it is that God shows you, first of all, in your own heart, the issues that you need to deal with, you need to deal with it re- with, in repentance, but you also need to deal with it with obedience. I need to deal with it in obedience and going forward and doing whatever it is that God would have me to do, fighting whatever battle God would have me to fight, even if it's a losing battle. One of the things that, as Americans, we don't really like, I don't think anybody likes it, but I'm American, so I can speak for us, is that we don't like to join in on anything that we're pretty sure won't succeed. If somebody tells you, let's go do this thing, but it's probably not going to go well, we don't really want to get involved in that. Was it Shackelford that went to the North Pole for the first time? I may be wrong about that. South Pole, went to the South Pole for the first time. Uh, at one time, I had a printout of the ad that he posted in the, in, in the papers before when he was recruiting men for that trip. And it was basically like, we're going on a venture with little chance of success and a high probability of death. Here's where you apply. And he had a bunch of people that signed up to go with him. We've got to really understand that victory, according to God, is faithfulness. Victory with God is doing what He has told us to do. Because God's going to win the victory. And He doesn't really need us to do it. God's going to win the victory. And so true victory is making sure that every time... Every single time, whenever our brain ascertains what the right is, we stand with God. Because it may look like something that we're not going to win now, we're not going to win here, but you might. Nobody ever thought Wilberforce would lead the charge and abolish slavery in England. Never thought it would happen, the British Empire. Other great evils that have, that have gone away. Whatever it may be, it may be something small. It may be something in your own life, and you're just like, it's just that thing, and it's just kind of there, and I'll and I just, you know, it's just there. I just don't even worry about it anymore. I just kind of bring it along with me. No, kill it. Kill it. John Owen said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. 
Kill it. Repent. Move forward. It's so challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you. Because the, time, the, the, the places I spend my time and effort sometimes, the, 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 the laziness that I embrace, you know, I got some free time, I'm just going to hang out and be lazy. And then, and then I look and I see there's so much that I believe God would have me to do that I miss. Swimming around in my own head, my own thoughts, and my own desires. Now that's the tough news. That's the difficult message, right? God's telling them to repent. God's telling them to stop it. God's telling you, you better learn to do good. You better seek justice. You better defend the fatherless. You better plead for the widow. Take care of the innocent is what he's telling them. That's what it looks like, much like James says about true religion, caring for the widows and orphans. But then God gives them really the good news, whether they knew it or not. In verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God has told them what it is that they need to do. They need to repent and, and they need to learn how to do good. But he's also telling them this isn't just some sort of uh, do betterism. I talked about that recently. This isn't just about you, know, you doing the right thing. No, you can be transformed. Right? It can, you can be scarlet, covered in blood. That's the picture. You can be covered in blood. Those up, outstretched hands that God says you're covered in blood can be washed. You can be made like wool. You can, you can be absolutely white as snow. This points us directly to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's surely not what Isaiah was saying when, when, when he was saying it. No, he's, he's telling them to, to come to God, to depend on God, to, to trust in God, to obey God. But we look at this through our lens and we understand this is a straight line pointing us to Jesus. Because the ultimate true transformation happens as we repent and believe in Him. One commentator said it this way, God can take away the stain of sin without compromising His righteousness because Jesus bore God's punishment for sin. We have a Savior who has stood in our place. And we can, in fact, be transformed. The measure of transformation is fruit. The root is being saved by grace. Right? being saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have that root, you will have fruit. I don't know what it'll look like in your life. Every life looks different. I'm going to talk about that some Sunday. That every life, don't be judging everybody else's fruit by your standard and say, your fruit doesn't look like my fruit. Well, guess what? I may have an apple tree and you got an orange tree. Fruit may look different, but as long as it's biblical fruit, we should rejoice God says there is a different way. You can be cleansed from sin. God's giving them an opportunity to hear Him and obey. And He didn't owe them that, and He doesn't owe us that. But He's shown grace. He's showing grace to them, and He has shown grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God finishes speaking here through Isaiah in this section by just showing the, the two paths in verse 19 and 20. There's two ways. As my old friend Bill Tobert used to say, there ain't but two places and you can't miss both of them. 
Heaven or hell? Righteousness or disobedience? Judgment or peace with God? If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Willingness and obedience, the blessing of God. Rebellion, judgment. Pretty simple. If you would come to God repenting, placing your faith in Him, if you would come to God in obedience, then he has for you blessing. And it may not, I'm not talking about material blessing, but He has for you the true and spiritual blessing. And yeah, a lot of material blessing comes with that sometimes. But the blessing of God is yours to claim if you are in Christ, if you know God. But if you refuse and you rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. And just in case we were thinking that Isaiah was just Making this up on his own, we get that statement at the end, don't we? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is it. You can cease to do evil and learn to do good, or you can continue in your evil and be devoured in judgment. We've got to be very plain spoken. We have preached a a grace that is so cheap sometimes. Okay, grace is free. Hear me. Grace is free. It's a free gift of God, but it isn't cheap. We have preached a cheap grace that required nothing, right, of us on the backside. We said, well, grace is a free gift of God, and I'm saved, and, and, and now I'm saved, and, and that doesn't really mean anything practically for me. I'm just walking around saved now. No, grace is the free gift that will cost you everything. Again, Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Brother Eric Montgomery said it this morning, when we follow Jesus, we're following him. Don't practice a cheap grace, because our grace came at a very high price, the very blood of the Lord Jesus. It comes with responsibility to obey his word, to live as he has commanded, to submit all of our ways to him. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The other pathway is a wide one. And allow yourself as I have to to just be wrecked by this. That there may be some things I've got to, that God's calling me to stand up for. There may be a place in my life where I need to proclaim truth. Maybe it's just with a friend. Maybe it's in some other setting. But whatever it is, be willing to do whatever God would have you to do, whatever the cost. And be willing to proclaim this gospel. The gospel that says, yes, grace is free, but it comes with a high price, and to reject it comes at the ultimate price of judgment. Judgment's coming, but there's another way. You're red, you can be white as snow. Turn to Jesus. Proclaim that gospel. And that's the gospel that will save people. A gospel that understands that there's a high price for sin, but there is a grace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us, Lord. Help us to... Help us to live in a way that pleases you, not in a way that pleases us and just salves our conscience, Lord. Lord, wherever it may be, whatever step of obedience, whatever step of faith, however small or great it may be in each of our lives, I pray that you'd give us courage to do it through the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray we we could be, even with the, the people in this room, this group, that we could be a force for your gospel. 
Lord, for the proclamation of the life and the death of, of Christ, but also the gospel lived out as we stand for right in our everyday lives. Help us, Lord. Give us courage. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.